Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. Uh. It's the goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep for you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. Enterprise sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight. Not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie Choose none so we all cross the finish line The work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Gill Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To every track coach could be the blessing Hey, welcome back to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the podcast that uplifts and honors coaches from around the world, really. We, you know, obviously, we focus here in uh, domestically in the United States, but it's amazing some of the international coaches that we've been so blessed to have here and uh, really blessed to have today's guest. But before I get to the introduction here, uh, I'm just curious. This is our fifth episode of season four. I, I can't believe we're in season four, by the way. Uh, quite amazing. And it's all because of you being here and listening. If you didn't listen, we couldn't record any. It wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. But it's a true testament to the coaches that we have and their journeys in this amazing profession. So this is episode five. I'm curious. I'd like to hear more feedback. I've had some feedback. I'd like to hear more feedback from you about our new intro song. This is the first season that we've actually had kind of intro song to the podcast. Uh, it's amazing. I love it, but it doesn't matter. I don't listen to the podcast. I just make the podcast. So I want to know what you think about the intro song. So hit me up on Twitter at Mike Cunningham, or you can email me literally just Google Mike Cunningham, Gill Athletics email, and that'll pop my email address up if you don't have it. Uh, but I'd like to hear from you and what you think about the intro song. Okay, enough uh, jibber jabber about songs and singing. Maybe I'll get today's guest to maybe we'll talk some songs and see what kind of music he likes. But help me welcome from the University of South Florida, the head coach, the director of track and field, Mr. Eric Jenkins. Eric, how are you, sir? I'm doing quite well. How are you? I am freaking fantastic. You know, I get that question a lot uh, everywhere I go. And when you sit back and think about what I do for a living, uh, there is nothing but fantastic to to describe it, man. I, I get to do this. I get to talk to wonderful people like you who choose to do uh, amazing things as a track and field coach, man. So how how does it get any better? There's only one way it gets better to be you, <laughs> to be an yeah, actual right. track coach, man. And I, <laughs> I hung that, that, the, that, the whistle up a long time ago, my friend, uh, and left it to better people, man. How, uh, how's life in Tampa, man? Ah, it's Tampa. Uh, see, it's January, what, 10th or whatever mm -hmm. it is today. And, uh, we'll probably get up to the upper seventies. So lots of sunshine, happy people. Tampa. So I lived in the Tampa St. Pete area. I okay. think it was, 
kindergarten, kindergarten or first grade. All I can remember is the elementary school I went to were the Pelicans. That's all I remember for some <laughs> reason. Uh, I actually tried to go back. I was down in the area years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, and tried to find my elementary school and I, I couldn't find it. It's grown a little bit in the uh, you oh, know 30 yeah. years that I was gone. Yeah. And, and now my uh, goddaughter, uh, she's from Chicago. She is a freshman at the University of Tampa uh, down okay. there when she was looking at schools. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I know Tampa pretty well. I was like, there's some good schools there. It's a good place. I told her about the famous, uh, what is it, roughly two o'clock, three o'clock every day showers, the rains that come down for like yep. five minutes and then You're it's gone. sunny and gone. Yeah, right. it's beautiful. Right. I love it. I love it. Yep. Well, Eric, let's, uh, before we get more into Tampa, we're going to learn more about uh, Tampa and the University of South Florida and the good things that you're doing there. Let's uh, kind of get in our way back machines and go back. Uh, I'm always curious. Coaching is has been, assuming that you were an athlete, uh, has always for a long time as you were growing up was something that was done to you. A coach would tell you, go do this, go run this, throw this, whatever. Uh, at some point in your life, the switch had to flip and you were like, wait a minute, I actually, I could be that, like that, that could be my job. Where does coaching start for you? Coaching started for me, um, postgraduate. Um, I never wanted to be a coach. I, I found myself thinking I'd be in corporate America, um, uh, corner office, uh, nice suits, uh, big cars, you know, living the life, just a corporate guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I went to graduate school and um, my coach at the time, you know, I actually left Kentucky uh, and was looking for which direction I wanted to go as far as grad school. And he gave me a call and said, hey, uh, have you made a decision what you want to do? I said, well, kind of narrowing things down. And he said, well, what about if I pay you to come back and be my graduate assistant? I was like, hmm, well, these places I'm looking at, I'm probably going to pay some money to get a master's degree. And I said, how much are you paying, coach? He said, I'll take care of you. I was on the first thing smoking back to Bowling Green, Kentucky. And uh, that started my coaching career, helping my coach who I had so much respect for. And he'd done so much for me in, in my life as, as a young adult. And I just looked at it as a way to, you know, honestly get a master's degree, but just to help coach because I knew coach needed help uh, being able to manage the program. And so in whatever capacity I could help him, that's what I was going to do. And so as I wrapped up my graduate um, degree, I found myself saying, you know what, I, I kind of like working with these these, these people. Uh, now I kind of see the headaches that I gave coach and uh, how to kind of, you know, move through the world and, and deal with people on a lot of different levels. So it was something that kind of caught me probably like at the end of my uh, master's degree. But I, I definitely was not looking forward to being coach. I didn't even start running track until my senior year in high school. So track and field was very, very new to me. Uh, it was a means to an end, uh, but God has continued to lead my path. And here I am, oh, so many years later, uh, the head coach at the University of South Florida. So a lot to unpack there. You know, the name of the podcast is the Gill Connections podcast, and that was done very uh, purposefully. Uh, we almost called it the shout out podcast because we want to shout out other people. <laughs> who was who this coach that meant so much to you that you were willing to just get right back on the on the bus so to speak to go back to Bowling Green and, and help him out that was Dr. Curtis Long uh yeah. Coach Long had been at Western Kentucky oh gosh so when he retired uh in 2008 he'd been there for 28 years as the mm -hmm. head coach uh his stops previous to that were at the University of Georgia where he was an assistant 
uh, and prior to that, Florida State. Uh, and a unique thing about Coach Long and Florida State, Coach Long was one of the Long brothers, and that dad was the head coach at Florida State, Mike Long, who the track is named after. And yeah. so at one point, I believe there was a Long at the helm within that program for 50 continuous years at Florida State. And so uh, I had the pleasure of working with Dr. Curtis Long uh, at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, uh, and also had the pleasure of knowing his brother uh, and being able to uh, learn from him. Uh, and that was Terry Long while he was still at Florida State. So I, I didn't I, know I, I didn't yeah. know that connection. I knew the Longs very famously at in Tallahassee for Florida Correct. State. Uh, I've known Dr. Curtis Long for quite a while because when you said his name, I was like, oh yeah, he he was Western Kentucky. Tra I mean, that's right. when you thought Western Kentucky track, you thought Dr. Curtis Long. I did right. not put the two and two together that that was family. That's so awesome. Yep. So you mentioned going into college that you, it wasn't like, oh yeah, I want to be a coach or specifically I want to be a track coach. You just started running your senior year. What did you actually go to Western Kentucky for undergrad? What did you actually end up getting your undergrad in? Mass communications and radio television broadcasting. Oh yeah. So, um, I, I, I grew up 10 miles West of Tallahassee in a little small town called Quincy, Florida. Okay. And so, um, you know, I, I started running track really on a bet. Uh, <laughs> had a, a good friend of mine uh, at the time. Uh, we were in class and, you know, he was on the track team. And, and the high school I went to, the track team was very, very successful. Matter of fact, they just won a state meet uh, previous to that. And um, Coach Pelham, I believe, during his 25-year run, uh, had never finished under district champion uh, at Quincy Shanks High School. So my uncles ran for him. Everybody in the community ran for him. So he was, you know, a living legend. Um and so I decided my senior year to go out and um, very unique story. I tried to go out early in the year, um, but coach told me he doesn't want older kids in his program. He wanted them young so he could train them through his system. Now I, I can understand what he meant. Um, so one morning I was racing a guy in my class uh, down the middle of the uh, sidewalk. Now, um, we had a rule at the time that there was no running in the hallway, sidewalks, so on and so forth. But I rode the bus at that time. And so I remember coming around, getting off the bus, and I thought a fight was happening. Uh, everybody was standing around. And, of course, my classmate was out there talking. And he was like, oh, I told you I'd be waiting for you, so on and so forth. So we take off running down the middle of campus. Uh, I beat him, by the way. Uh, and this was a day when uh, Polo I, I assumed you weren't telling this story if you lost. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I could probably call his name right now. We could give him a call. He still remembers, but I'll leave that to another day. Um, but uh, to say all that, we ran. We happened to run right into the assistant principal, who was also the assistant track coach. And uh, he gave me an ultimatum. He's like, you can uh, do in-school suspension. Or you can come with me and let's go talk to somebody. Now, uh, let's see, I had cousins who worked in the school. Everybody knew my grandfather. So it was like, uh, this is not going to be good. So whatever the alternative is, I'm going with this. Well, he took me out to the track coach. And huh. Coach Pelham turns around, looks at me. And he said, I thought I told you not to come out here. I, 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 we're full. We don't need anybody else. And my assistant coach, who was Coach Gay, uh, pulls Coach Pelham to the side. And to this day, he won't tell me what he said. And the coach Pelham turns around and say, all right, I'll give you a chance. 
So he puts me on the line in the middle of a time trial, and I have to race uh, some of the guys who were on the team previously, and I won. So I, I don't know, 100 meters from 200 meters from whatever. I just run. I lay out. He comes over, looks down at me, kicks me on the foot, says, get up and get on the bus and be back tomorrow. Huh. That was my introduction to track and field. So you weren't, you said you don't know 100 from a 200. So you weren't a track guy, track kid. At you didn't, all. you at weren't all. reading track and field news. You weren't no. looking up to, uh, you know, probably around this time frame is the Carl Lewis and things. None of that. Well, you you were like, I, you know, I track. Carl Lewis only because he was in the Olympics. If they're on the Olympics, you know, you watch the summer Olympics. Right. But that was pretty much the extent of track and field other than, I knew my uncle had this huge trophy in my grandma, grandmother's house where he won the 300 hurdles oh, wow. uh, at a, a big invitation. He also won the state meet and some other things. So he had all these things going. So I knew that. Right. I grew up playing baseball. Yeah, so I was going to ask. Baseball. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, very, very blessed to have that chance encounter. Um, and until this day, I, I credit my opportunities uh, from me just happened to run into Coach Gay yeah. And him taking me over. And then during my high school, short high school team, because I, I went out in February, state meet was in April. Mm. And so I made the finals of the 400, finished second in the long jump, ran in the four by four that won the meet. And we actually won the uh, state meet uh, as a team that year. So very, very thankful for those opportunities. Um, and uh, the rest is history. You know, Today, we have the luxury of experience and, and looking back and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It, it's amazing to me. Here is, I think you said it, you know, chance encounter. It's, this is, it, it easily could have not gone this way. You could have uh, been sick that day and not rode the bus. You could have not raced. You could have lost the race, whatever, right? But because of that, it led to this amazing journey. I mean, I mean, this is like, you look back that there was a small fork in the road and you easily could have taken the other side of the road there. And instead it led to uh, running at Western Kentucky and now a career. And I mean, that is, to me, that's phenomenal. At the time you thought nothing of it. You're, the, at the time you were probably thinking, I just want to beat the kid. That's, that's my only yeah. thought, right? Uh, oh, and I don't, now I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to go to in-school suspension. Okay. That's all I want to do. How do I get rid of that? Uh, I mean, that is, that's really quite phenomenal, man. That's amazing. And when you talk about connections, um, my high school coach, uh, who sent quite a few, you know, athletes to school uh, over the years, um, you know, you're getting, you know, your letters and all those type of things. And we had a assistant coach at the time who was a who had been a professional football player. He also ran track in high school, but he would come back in the off season to help out during track season when he was, you know, in the off season. And um, he told me something that stuck him to this day. He said, go somewhere where you want it. Go somewhere where you can learn. He was like, you're getting some of these offers, but you're just not ready. And at first I was like, what do you mean I'm not ready? He was like, you're not ready. He said, you have a lot to learn. And then my coach, at, head coach at the time, pulled me. He said, you really need to go somewhere again where you can learn. And I'm like, well, he and the system must be talking to something. And several offers um, came by and Western Kentucky was the only one that I really didn't entertain because I was like, I never heard of that. You know, you heard of these other ones. Um, but my coach said, listen, he's a good man and it's a great place for you to go and continue to grow. And so um, Western Kentucky is a place I didn't visit, but I did my research. I did my research on the coach 
And when my parents talked to Coach Long, they felt comfortable. And the thing that stood out to me about Coach Long was Coach Long was the only person when I talked to him that never talked about going to the Olympics, mm. doing all of these type of grandiose things in track and field. He talked about getting an education from Western Kentucky. He talked about being able his his you know kids they would go to West Kentucky and all the time. I mean, he just looked at that university. If he's talking about you coming there, he he was fully invested, and that's something that meant a lot to me. Um, and I went there as a freshman, and gosh. 20 plus years later, hmm. uh, I was still in that system at Western Kentucky University enjoying the benefits of it hmm. because of that opportunity he took. And he hmm. and my high school coach were actually uh, classmates at Florida State. So that was their connection. Oh, wow. That's so, a heck of a story when you think about recruiting today. And, you know, I'm obviously pretty um, um influenced and, and involved in Twitter. And so I see a lot of, you know, athletes and coaches and why did the kid choose there? Why didn't they choose here? Uh, in you know, this school would have been better. And it's like, well, that's, that's your reason, not the kid's reason. You know, the kid has to make the decisions. And so it's interesting to hear that, you know, no visit uh, didn't try to pump you up and talk about Olympics and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, Hey man, you're going to come here. You'll be a better athlete and you'll have a degree. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's that sounds pretty important. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. And for me, uh, being so new to the sport, I I say this very humble. I feel like wherever I went, I was going to be good. Mm -hmm. Just give me something because I came from a place where uh, it was a concrete track. It mm -hmm. had red clay all over it. So when it rained, uh, it went from being a three slash four lane concrete track to being uh, about a half a lane. And you had to be really good about <laughs> learn how to run in that half a lane, because if you stepped on that red clay, you're probably going to go sliding right into the hill. So um, so I, I didn't come from much as far as that, but I really appreciated the opportunity. And mm -hmm. to this day, I'm very, very, very thankful for the opportunities that have been afforded to me from this sport. So I'm always curious. So you go to Western Kentucky, you get your undergrad there in mass communications. Uh, you're obviously well on your way into a TV career <laughs> at that point, right? Uh, but you come, do you come back immediately into the graduate assistance program or was there any time in between say May or June when your senior season was over and then the fall you start graduate assistant coaching? Yep. So it was roughly four months. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, all right, this opportunity, I just can't pass it. Let, let's turn it around and go right back to a play. And if anybody knows me from, from back in those days, I was like, you know what? I'm graduating. I am out of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. uh, and Bowling Green, Kentucky is a wonderful place, uh, but, you know, just just not the hub of excitement uh, for a young person. So mm -hmm. yeah. for me, it was strictly about work and, and getting the education and further my education. And then once I got into coaching, just coaching. So I'm always curious when an undergrad goes into any kind of, uh, whether it's a volunteer coaching position, assistant coaching position, or graduate assistant position at their alma mater, because you said about four months. So within four months, you go from hanging with your friends, your buddies, um, you know, Friday night Xbox games, whatever, to four months later, you can't, you don't, you shouldn't, I guess I should say, uh, do that. You have to, there has to be a separation as you go into right. coaching. How did you handle that? You know, you go from one day being, being, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm gonna say boys. That's how I would say it. You know, I'm from Alabama, uh, being boys to, Hey, uh, I got to tell you when to line up and what times you got to hit. And, and, you know, if you, if you're late, I got to do something, whatever, blah, blah, blah. H how did you handle 
that transformation for you? They didn't change. You know, they're still undergrads. You changed into now coach. How did you handle that? Well, the good thing for me is uh, I had an older, experienced coach. Uh, like I said, Coach Long had been there for quite some time. So me coming in and, and and a lot of the guys that I was on the team with, they were graduating out. We'd all graduated out. So it was a very, very young team uh, as I started as, as a graduate assistant. So um, for me, it was he's the boss. Guys, we're going to follow his orders. And it was always, Coach, what do you want me to do? Uh, and I just believe that. Uh, he was put in that position for a reason, uh, and it is my job, my opportunity to, to make him look good at what he does. So it wouldn't matter what he said do, um, I was going to do it because he was the boss. This was his ship. I was going to be a good soldier. So it sounds like a lot of guidance from Dr. Long to his Absolutely. GAs. Because because on a smaller school, which, you know, Western Kentucky, especially back then, would have been uh, considered a smaller school. Right. It would have been roughly, what year was, was this roughly? <laughs> so this would have been 2000. Yeah, okay. So I was at Troy University around 99, 2000, right around there. So, you know, very small, uh, not a lot of full-time coaches. So a GA had a lot of autonomy. Right. Uh, in fact, our whole distance squad was always coached at that point by GA. So it was like, go, uh, whatever you do, you do. <laughs> you know, we got other things we got to do. So, uh, but there, the situation sounds like a lot of oversight from Dr. Long with your your coaching. Because So it sounds like almost like he was coaching you to be a coach, not just, all right, you you know what the playbook is. You were here with me for four years, go. He, he really kind of helped you and maybe molded you? Yeah, so he helped me in the administrative side of things and understanding how to work with people. Um you know, I was there, um, but when I got there, we didn't have a sprint coach. I mean, Coach Long did everything. He was everything. a cross-country coach, throws coach, distance coach. And so when, when he brought me back, he was like, all right, there you go. I'll show you how to do it. Um, and I spent so much time in his office. Uh, when he was at cross-country practice, I would leave and go to cross-country practice because I just wanted to learn. Hmm. I like being around Coach Long. I, again, a lot of people get mentors. My my um, parents to this day will say, well, that, that's your second dad hmm. um, because I spent so much time around Coach Long. So he means a lot to me, and I'm very, very thankful for the opportunity he provided me. And I think you said even through your graduate program, um, you really not until the end of that graduate program was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to be a, a coach. So were you, it makes it sound like maybe you weren't doing any kind of uh, formal coaching education programs at this point. Cause you were still, I mean, you, you had the informal <laughs> Dr. Long coaching education, right? But you weren't doing any USATF level ones or anything at that point. No, I'm, I'm trying to remember where my first level one was. Gosh, it's been mm -hmm. so long ago. I think the most, uh, beneficial one I've done uh, that I can remember vividly. And uh, actually, I met quite a few people uh, from this one was I actually did throws uh, mm. up in Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah. And um, very interestingly, I'm sitting in there and, you know, I'm, everybody else is six foot nine, 300 pounds. And here I am. And they're all kind of looking like, what are you doing here? You, you're not supposed to be in like the distance. You lost. Yeah. Sprint, right. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here to, to do throws. And um, as they they started talking, uh, some of the people started rolling. I'm like, oh, I know who that is. And strangely enough, one of our alums was one of the people they taught on, uh, Jesse Stewart, who was the NCAA champ. Uh, and at one point, 
Jesse Stewart at Western Kentucky University and Brian Oldfield, who was at Middle Tennessee, were two of the best mm -hmm. throwers uh, in the country. And so they talked a lot about those guys. Mm -hmm. So it, it ingratiated me even more to the content because, oh, gosh, that's one of our guys, you know. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot from that. And even to this day, uh, most people know uh, I am a throws guy. I really like the throws. I always have liked the throws. Um, and you can find me probably at the shot um, uh, at, at most meets. Uh, and the only other thing that probably gets me excited more is the four by fours. Um, I like the throws. I've had some very good throws coaches I've worked with. And um, I think they would attest that, hey, when I'm a person that wants throwers, I like the event. Um, and I think even when I'm talking to other folks about it, for my sprinters, they're like, well, coach, why are you always over at the throws? I said, well, you ought to come over with me. I said, do you think you could be a ballerina in this area? Oh, well, you know. I said, so what do you think about a guy who's, uh, let's say, 6'8", you know, 320? And I actually showed one of the guys a video of Christian Cantwell mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years back. I think it was uh, maybe 2004 Olympic trials. I think it was in Sacramento, not mistaken. And I believe it was Christian Cantwell, maybe Hoffa, um, Nelson, and they were just going at it. And he was like, that big guy? I was like, yeah. So you have to look at the artistry behind those individuals in this small circle. <laughs> and, and it's, man, to see that shot come out of there or whatever implement may be, <laughs> it, there's a lot that goes into it. And to continue to educate other people outside of just the sprints or the jumps where they normally see me around uh, to that. I mean, even in the fall, we kind of have a team day where uh, this year they had to learn to throw javelin, everybody. Uh, last year they did pole vault. We've done shot put. So it's trying to bring in a full gamut of understanding for this wonderful sport we compete in. You sound like uh, a secret wannabe thrower, man. Who knew this? <laughs> uh, sure, but I've got bad knees now, all kind of stuff, you know. Uh, but no, I, I like the throws. I always have. I love it, man. No, no one thought today with the people that know you or, or think they know you were like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a whole talk about throwing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So let's keep moving forward. You finish your graduate uh, degree there at Western Kentucky. Uh, is, so is this when kind of the switch flipped? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, hold on. This this is what I want to be. I want to be a track and field coach. Not really. I mean, mm. I, I liked it, but I was still at that point trying to figure it out. Mm. And, uh, you know, I had other offers in, in corporate America to go into. And quite honestly, uh, one of my fraternity brothers at the time was back in town. Um, and we were sitting down having a, a, a early uh, lunch, dinner, sorry, uh, just kind of catch up. And I remember him saying, he said, man, you got a great situation. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, man. You know, yeah, I work here. I mean, he'd been working downtown Chicago. He worked in Nashville. He worked in New Orleans. And he was like, but you get an opportunity to do something you love to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. He was like, don't be in a hurry to come to corporate America. He said, because it's not what you think it is. And I'm going, but yeah, you're making this, you're making that, you're making that. And so from a financial standpoint, uh, I, I definitely was not uh, ingratiated to, to coaching because I feel like I, I don't want to take the bow of poverty to say I'm coaching. But if you talk to anyone who's been in this business, they will tell you probably very, very quickly, I'll probably say 98% of them that you're not going to make a lot of money in this. And I remember Terry Long telling me that 
early in the career, he was like, if you want to do it, and I think you can, he's like, you can't do it for the money. And I was like, but yeah, but at some point, coach, we got to get paid. And he was like, yep, the money will come. Just do your job. And that's what I did. I, I just did my job. And so after I graduated, you know, wrapping up graduation, I kept helping coach Long out kind of like as a volunteer. And then uh, I got my first paid position of $2,500 for a year. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't jumping up and down about it. I, I got another job. I worked at uh, Best Buy uh, and I actually worked at Fruit of the Loom um, uh, at, at night uh, to be able to pay my bills, quite honestly. And so um, at that point, I'm like, all right, we had some some pretty good kids in the program. The, the first young man I ever recruited uh actually end up finishing six in the hundred meters uh in seventh in the 200 and then uh by 2004 and in that same year i had the um fastest football player in the country who was actually a true freshman out of indianapolis indiana you ran 10 19 400 you finished i believe ninth that year uh so early on in my coaching career i got an opportunity to go out and really work with some good young men and young ladies and so that opportunity just blossomed into other things and by that time I was I was all in and all right coach where are we going I'm, I'm your guy you mentioned your first paying job part of the uh career was $2,500 that was at Western Kentucky so it was like a yeah. uh, intern stipend type of position that if you want to put it that way sure it was $2,500 <laughs> so uh I, I don't know what bucket of money they brought they got it out of but it was <laughs> 2575 and 125 and I remember when I finally became full time which was like maybe four or five years into it um you know I was willing to do whatever needed to be done to be successful uh so if that made me work in another job then that's what I was going to do but I just felt if I'm going to do something I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and so I didn't go you know, big and I need more money. I had this kid because we, we were you know, starting to see some success, but I just knew there was so much more out there that we needed to accomplish. Um, and I, I just kept working and eventually uh, reasonable salaries came. But by that time you're into it, you're just like, whatever it is, I'm going to do it and I, I'll make do. You know, salaries for specifically track coaches, but sport coaches in general and specifically in the college side are a, are a funny thing. You know, it's it's interesting on the football side, you know, when someone signs a contract, when Kirby Smart at Georgia signs a contract, whatever, uh, like it's public knowledge. Like, uh, you know, signed a five-year extension. In fact, uh, as we're recording this, the championship game, I don't know if you could call it that, uh, the game, the, the last game of the college season was last night. And right. as you all know, 65 to 7, it was amazing. Uh, but uh, this morning when I went up to go to the gym, uh, there was a tweet about, you know, he added like $250,000 bonus for winning the championship game. And then it, so that brought his salary for the year to 11.6 or whatever. I'm like, within. Well, 12 hours of the game, we knew how much this man made in one year. On uh, track coaching side, it's very interesting. I'm not sure, I don't know, because I'm not in the football coaching world and baseball coaching world, et cetera. But in the track world, exactly what you said is what is most commonly said. Oh, if they'd pay me a dollar, I'd coach track. Or, oh, you know, we don't do it for the money. And I 
get that. I push back against it to be real right. frank right. with you. Yeah. Uh, but I get it because we, you know, typically, at least all the track coaches I know, they're very passionate people. Uh, they are in it for the quote unquote right reasons, the kids. Uh, I get that. But but then I always add, however, you have to be taken care of and, and not just for you. And I think right. I think track coaches generally push back against that because it seems very selfish. Like, oh, if I pushed for more money. Well, that's about me, not the kids, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's actually not about you. Part of it is about you. Sure, you, you need money uh, for, for all the things that you want to buy. But that money also takes care of your family, takes care of your passions and, and interest outside of your job of coaching right. track and field as well. Uh, we, we just simply have to pay coaches more and we have to pay them more earlier as well. Like I don't, I don't believe in this, my first coaching job, you know, in today's world easily could be 17,000, 18,000, 20,000. You can't, you can't live can't on that. Lie. You literally right. can make more uh, the proverbial going to McDonald's and flipping burgers jobs. You know, we're paying 15 to $20 an hour there for 17, 18 grand a year. You ain't making, you ain't making that much, you know, especially right. don't even count the hours, right? I don't even talk about 40 hours because you ain't doing 40 hours. You're doing 400 hours in yeah, a week. So, so I'm always kind of a pushing back on the, uh, you know, I was just happy to make this and X and Y. And it's like, no, 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 please. Like we need to stop applying for jobs that are paying 25,000 to be real frank that they, they pay 25 because they'll get a hundred uh, applicants that, that will take it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. We have to, we have to stand up for our profession because we have so many great people that are giving to our athletes and to get, to continue getting higher quality and passionate people, we have to pay them respectfully, uh, or we'll continue to lose them to other jobs that are out there and we'll lose great people that should be track coaches, uh, that are out there. So, all right. Well, I think, I think a, a big, no, and, and to kind of go on that, I think a big part of what to, to, to stay in that vein, a lot of track coaches, um, especially some of the older ones, like you said, weren't willing to push the envelope and, you know, the days of coaches staying somewhere for like 20, 30 years, they're very, there aren't a lot of those guys, right? Now, I hope I am one of them, you know, because I had a, I was at Western Kentucky for 11 years as the head coach. Uh, I certainly hope to have a quality tenure here at the University of South Florida. But if uh, a good friend of mine who who was probably one of the best football coaches, young minds around, he told me a long time ago, and he's had some pretty prestigious stops. He said, Eric, you know the difference between football coaches and track coaches. And I said, oh, what, what, what? fill me in, please enlighten me. He said, well, you guys hope to go somewhere and die. And he said, we're in football coaches. We hope to go somewhere and get fired up. Mm. He said, and what I mean by that, he's like, you go somewhere. If you do a good job, you know, your coach might stay there uh, or take you with him or a new person comes in, you get fired up, but you do a good enough job that you can move on, move on, move on. Because a lot of football coaches, they aren't making what Kirby Smart makes uh, right now. And, and that's across all levels. So that's mm -hmm. honestly a misconception because I've seen a lot of football coaches. I've, I've been around some really good football programs and they don't all make it there. Now, obviously, sure. if you're at Georgia uh, and some of the SEC schools, things are already built in uh, and, and even the Big Ten now. But when they first start, mm -hmm. they didn't start at, you know, mm -hmm. at Ohio State as the mm -hmm. OC. So um, understanding that, but also even as a head coach, it's my responsibility when I do try to bring new people in to be able to talk to my administration as to why I can't pay this person $20,000 to come put in, you know, umpteen amount of hours 
just because we're not going to get what we need out of them mm-hmm. and they can't survive. And then that not surviving, I mean, I've got to go and find a job just to be able to do this. And so you're not getting the best of that person. Mm-hmm. And so I think as we look around the sport now, salaries are starting to increase uh, and they're providing more resources outside of just the coaches. You've got some programs have two directive operations. They've got recruiting coordinators. They've got a lot of things at their disposal. And I really hope that becomes a norm. And I'd love to see them be able to provide our sport with more coaches besides just six. Because when you think about it, football has 10 paid coaches. And they'll say, oh, yeah, we have 115 guys. Okay, great. Well, 85 you're responsible for at the Division One level. But there are a lot of track and field programs out there that have 70 or more athletes, uh, men and women combined. Uh, and you got, you know, the disparity between the numbers is it's is is not fair. So um are we ever gonna get what football gets? Probably not. But I certainly believe as a body we need to be working forward to try to provide more opportunities for our sport. I, I mean, wow, a hundred percent. There there's a lot to unpack what you just said there, Eric. Um Let's start with what your football coaching friend said that you track coaches, you go uh, to find a job to die there. We get, we, we go to fire up, you know, to get fired to move up and things like right. that. Uh, that's really interesting concept. Uh, you know, speaking with coaches on the non press release side, track coaches on the non press release side. So you'll never see this in a press release. I don't think I've ever seen it in a press release, but when you talk to a coach, it's like, Oh man, I don't want to leave. Cause I love the kids and I recruited them all here. Things like that. Now, again, full disclosure, I don't talk to football coaches in personally, like I do track coaches, but I don't know that I've ever heard football coaches say, yeah, I didn't want to leave from uh, Stephen F. Austin to go to TCU because I recruited all those linebackers and I love them like family. And uh, so I stayed at Stephen F. Austin and made a lot less. I don't hear that. It's like, oh man, I had a great time at, at uh, St- you know, just using those two schools as an example. Right. I had a great time at Stephen F. Austin, but I'm excited to go to TCU and get paid a lot more, uh, right. you know? Right. So uh, with that, Earlier in our pre-interview, you talked about you'd listen to Boo Shexnader on the podcast here at Gill. Uh, it's still our number one podcast, by the way, by right. a mile, and I recommend everybody listen to it. He talked about this kind of very topic where he talked about, you know, if you have an opportunity to go somewhere, especially early in your career, he talked about uh, to make more money, you should, uh, because we don't do enough for our future retirements and we don't get paid enough anyway. So anytime you can make an extra dollar and earlier, that extra dollar you make actually compounds because the next job should pay more based on right. experience, et cetera. Uh, and then he dropped the bomb that I was like, man, boo, I'm not sure you're supposed to say that part out loud. He, he talked about the um, air quotes here, excuse that we give as track coaches. Uh, well, I don't want to leave the kids and things like that. And he's like, he, he said, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. You got to go back and listen to the uh, podcast to get his exact words. But he was like, if you really want to, what, what, if you really want what's best for the athletes, for the kids, well, how do you know that you leaving and the other coach coming in isn't a better coach for them? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, our ego is, doesn't allow us to say that. What does our ego say? No, no, no. I'm the best coach for right. these kids, you know? Right. Um, so I just thought uh, fascinating of just, you know, again, that's why I push back more and more on the, you know, I'm just happy to be here. I, I do it for free and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, uh, I've never heard an accountant say, 
that they'd be a CPA for free. I've never heard of a lawyer saying they would do it. Actually, there is some pro bono lawyer, but you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, right. The other thing to unpack there is the number of coaches that we have. You used the football example, which is a great example, right? I mean, they've got a, a tight end coach, a right tackle coach, a right guard coach, a center right. coach. I mean, it's quite Quality amazing. Control. Quality Everything. control. Right. Uh, they got five film guys. I mean, it's right. quite amazing. Uh, you know, quality analyst, all these kind of weird spots that they've created. Bravo to them. Basketball is another one. They've got like 15 kids on the team and they've got like four. How many coaches they have? Four or five. Coaches. I, said, I thought it was four or five. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, they got like a three to one ratio. And right. it's like, really, guys, we're dealing with 50, 100, 150 uh, athletes of wildly different events, much like football, you know, receivers different from running back, et cetera. Uh, but we do it. A lot of places are doing it with one coach, two coaches, three coaches, a volunteer coach. Uh, if you're fully staffed, you're six with what a GA or a volunteer it's not enough. We need more into this profession, but we got to pay them to get more higher quality people into the profession. Right. I had a young man uh, talk to me a couple of weeks ago and he said, well, I really like being here. You know, he, he had some other opportunities and uh, he said, well, should I leave? And I was like, well, you should leave if you believe it's going to put you in a better place when you're an old man. And he was like, yeah, but I've got these great kids here now. I said, and great kid, coach told me this, a long time ago, he said, you never stay anywhere for the kids. Mm. Now, I have thoroughly enjoyed all the athletes I've worked with, mm -hmm. but I would never stay for a kid because mm -hmm. guess what? Everybody has a terminal date as far as education at your institution. So you bring a junior college kid in there, you probably got two years and they're going to graduate. High school kid, four years, they're going to graduate. Transfer however many years. So they're going to leave you at some point. But if you stake yourself to that institution for a kid, uh, then you're doing a disservice to your future kids because at some point you're going to re retire. I had a conversation many, many, many years ago at one of the uh, clinics that was being put on with Russ Rogers and Harvey Glantz. Mm. And at that time, both of those gentlemen were coming towards the end of their career. And everybody knows those guys were fabulous golfers and, you know, they, they lived it. Right. And I'm sitting around afterwards and they said, listen, Make sure you set yourself up for the long haul. They were like, don't stay somewhere just because, you know, you think that's it. And they're just taking care of you, like, because you're going to have a family one day. And I knew that because my parents had talked to me about it before. But it was hearing it from coaches who've been there and done that. And on that side of their career and saying, make sure you get investments. Know, you know, what's going on in your retirement, your stocks and so on and so forth. And so ever since that day, uh, I'm very keen on where, <laughs> what's going on with my mm -hmm. retirement. Uh, and I also try to talk to other individuals about, hey, put yourself in a situation so when you're in your latter days as far as retirement, uh, you're good to go. And you also want to be able to take care of your family. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, something as simple as, hey, uh, you're at certain states. Uh, if you can buy into their educational system as an option for retirement, you can have different tax shelters. But also, if your kids one day want to go back to that state and, and they can have opportunity to go there, like here in Florida, um, we have a, a program in which, you know, uh, my kids will be able to go to school in the state of Florida, whether they get a scholarship or not, mm -hmm. uh, because it'll be paid down long before they go to school. We haven't talked about this specific topic on the podcast for quite a while now. When you talk about I love that statement of, you know, I don't want to leave for because of the kids. And and I appreciate what you said of like, hey, I'm not going to let a kid keep me there. Because I always wondered, kind of sidebar on that. I always wondered, it's like, well, you're going to another institution. 
there, there's other great kids there too. <laughs> like, right. so you, you never think about losing out. Like those kids aren't going to have you if you don't go there, if you stay for these right. kids and you're right, you know, their, their time is finite two years, four years, five years, maybe at max they're, they're going to go on. Hopefully they're going to go on if you're doing right. your job. Right? right. So we, what we haven't talked a lot about is the um, spectrum of selfishness and unselfishness, selflessness, right? And we think a lot of times surface level as track coach, it's like, oh man, can you get any more selfless than being a track coach? You are working with other people's kids, other people's 18 to 22 year olds. You spend so much time with them. Uh, you're taking phone calls at nine o'clock at night, which I don't like or agree with, but uh, right. you, you know, you're always there. And it's like, wow, you're so selfless. But we sometimes forget, especially if we have family, if we have kids of our own, we're not spending time with our partner. We're not spending time with our kid, which means you're being selfish. You're, you're doing your dream of living your career and spending time with these kids on your team. And your kids are missing out on you being at the ball game, uh, just being there in general, playing games, going to movies, whatever, just being a mom or a dad in general. So we, we tend to think of selfishness and selflessness as this, like you have to be on one side or the other one. It's actually, you got to kind of be like in the middle, like you have right. to be selfish for yourself and your family yeah. or you, yeah, or you are going to uh, not do the right things for your family to do it for some other kids. Correct. Balance. So I was a person that had to learn that the hard way, um, especially at my time at West Kentucky. I, I mean, I was recruiting coordinator. I coached sprints, jumps, mm. hurdles. I, I did a lot. Um, and you find yourself in the office at six and then all of a sudden you look up, it's 11, 12. Oh, and by the way, I got to get up tomorrow and, you know, leave the house at four to catch a flight in Nashville at six uh, to fly this place. And then you've got your, your meats built in. So all of a sudden you don't have a lot of time for yourself. Now, at the time I was, you know, single and all that stuff. So, you know, it's I, different. I, That's yeah, different to myself. Um, but once I had my oldest daughter, you know, you start really saying, man, I, I can't do this because I'm doing this. I can't do this and doing that. So, you know, I, I have a very unique spread. I have a daughter who's 22, uh, just graduated uh, Florida State and all that type of stuff and moved on and is now living in New York, well, New Jersey and, and working in New York. Um, and I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And so some of the, the lessons of not being able to do certain things with my oldest daughter uh, have really helped me focus on, all right, you know what? I've hired some really, really good people around me. Uh, if I need to go to this play, and I don't have something that is pressing for me to be in the office, mm -hmm. or I just communicate with my staff and say, hey guys, I really need to go see my kids Lion King play this morning. If you need me to do anything, text me. I will get to it as soon as I can, but hey, I'm leaving you responsible for this. And I've got some very, very competent people around me that I feel comfortable doing that when I couldn't do that at one point in my career. Let's put a pin in that. Let's make sure okay. when we get to South Florida, let's talk about, because uh, what you're talking about there is uh, hiring, trust, uh, and then also the dichotomy of how you're working with your profession and your personal life and how you lead your staff to that as well. How, like, I love the example you gave. We're going to come back to it and mix, and we're going to see if you are doing that with them as well. I have a feeling you, you are, uh, but let's, let's circle back to that as well. Uh, uh, put a pin in that and come back to that in a little bit. Um, so 
you, let, let's keep going with the career here, the path. So you go into becoming a full-time assistant. You're finally making more than $2,500 for the year. Bravo. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm sure your first assistant job, you made it all the way up to $25,000 <laughs> for the year. Still not enough. Right. Uh, but how long were you an assistant? And when did you become the head coach? And then let's talk about becoming the head coach, not only the head coach, but the head coach of your alma mater. Right. So I became the head coach of my alma mater in uh, January 1st of 2008. Uh, so uh, grad school, two years. So totality, I spent eight years uh, postgraduate uh, uh, to uh, becoming a head coach. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a quick ride, but it was a lot learned in, in that scenario uh, within that you know, six to eight year window in which I really had to figure out what was going on. And, and like I said, when, when I actually became the head coach, I, I wasn't going into it like, all right, I'm going to do this so I can become the head coach. Uh, I felt that was my coach's position. Uh, and if I was meant to go somewhere else to continue my career, that, that was fine. I had opportunities. Um, but Western just kept bringing me back to center. Again, I wouldn't stand for the athletes. I would stand for the opportunities. Hmm. I got to learn so much at Western Kentucky because we didn't have a lot of resources. So I had to learn to be the recruiting coordinator. I had to learn to coach a lot of events. I had to learn how to do things from an administrative standpoint. So Coach Long didn't have to do everything himself. And I just became a student of the business. Hmm. And I think a lot of coaches, in my humble opinion, aren't businessmen. Mm -hmm. or business women they want to just go to the track and just coach that's great trust me the, the that's the best part of my day but i also realized i'm the ceo of mm -hmm. this business model and so there are a lot of things you have to get done well uh to be successful um like i said you don't just show up to the track and have kids if you don't understand how to recruit and you don't understand how to put them in equipment you don't have all these things because once you start delegating and you understand what's going on, you're a better leader, but more importantly, you're a better coach in that. You know, I just thought about this question as we were transitioning from that topic to now you're becoming the head coach there at the Hilltoppers. Do you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot and ask you the question. This is what I'm starting to kind of think and, and kind of formulate in my head. So I'm going to ask it to you as the, as the question. Do you think some coaches use the profession of track coaching here specifically uh, as an escapism? Meaning, um, it, it's easy to get a to to get away from the responsibilities of being a a, a husband or a wife or being a parent because I got to go make recruiting calls. Uh, I've got to go see this kid at this meet. I've got to go to the office and do whatever. I mean, there's tons of things to do in the office, but again, it's not a business business in the sense of like you got to clock in at eight and all that kind of stuff. Uh, do you think maybe there's coaches uh, big swath here? You know. Be, being very um, uh, uh, not fair to the entire body, but, you know, big swath here. Do you think we maybe use that as a, as an excuse for an, an escapism from responsibilities for personal responsibilities? I guess you could, if you want to, um, I will tell you right now, I enjoy coming home to my five and three year old. And mm. um, one thing I do, uh, I, I tr really try hard when I walk in the door. So essentially from 6, 15 to 8 o'clock, uh, business stops unless it's something I have to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now after that, eight to nine recruiting calls, uh, depends on where they are. I might go to 10, but I'm like you at nine o'clock. I try to turn mm-hmm. things off. That's just kind of how I grew up. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's about balance. And, mm-hmm. and it took me a while because, you know, once you're in it, you're trying to figure out how to win. You want to be successful. I've got all these great coaches around me. Like, you know, when I was early in my career, I, I had to face Dean Hayes. <laughs> you know, down in Murfreesboro, you know? So if you know the sport, you know, Dean was, I mean, he's phenomenal, right? Phenomenal. Um, and, and, and bless his soul and all that. He, you know, he's going on, but, um, you know, I, I had to study him. Like, mm-hmm. how does he do this? Um, I looked at Bill Carson, mm-hmm. like, what is he doing over there? How can I bring this to, to where I am? Um, Northern Iowa, they were really, really good. You know, I looked at people who were, of a, of a similar ilk and said, all right, let me build my program to this. And when you're trying to build it and you're in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and you're trying to recruit sprinters and jumpers and throwers, and they're going, where are you again? And trying to sell that. So it's, it's a lot of work mm-hmm. and you end up, some things fall off. And I've told myself that I'm going to work where I can try to keep things as balanced as possible. And that goes for me, but also for my staff. I, I mean, I know we're going to get to South Florida in a while, but I have a staff right now that I don't have to ask them to work. I tell them, you know, there was one point this summer, I was like, hey, listen, go home. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be in the office. We, we look around, we're literally the only staff in the office and we're going at a thousand miles now, but I know they have to recharge. They have families. You know, I want them to bring their kids to practice. You know, I want to be able to enjoy every facet of what this business can offer. Thanks for uh, letting me put you on the spot there. I appreciate that. As you as you were talking out that answer there, you know, I started thinking I, I kind of maybe unfairly, we, you know, we, we're focusing on track coaches here. So I, I put that on track coaches. Uh, but now being in the business side of it, I see the same thing in the business side. So maybe it's not necessarily a track coach or a coaching thing of escaping responsibilities by throwing yourself 100 hours into a week into the job. Uh, maybe that's what we do in general. And, and maybe it comes because that's that's what we see as a young person. You know, when you first get into a job as a 21, 22 year old, and you see, uh, again, on the coaching side, your head coach is in there at 10 o'clock at night and 6 a.m. the next day. And you're like, oh, well, that must be what it is. So maybe right. we have to do and take the responsibility on ourselves as track coaches uh, to set the example for our younger coaches of like, yeah, yeah. Hey, you got to work hard. No, no questions asked. If you want to be successful at anything, you're going to have to work hard. That doesn't mean it's 24 hours a day. Right. You, you, it right. is a job right. at the end of the day. I know we coach track and field. We love our athletes and it's a passion and putting all the other buzzwords. But at the end of the day, it's a job that gives us a paycheck. Uh, should your job be number one in your life? I, I almost said, I'm not so sure. I know it's not supposed to, to be number one in your life. You know, maybe your faith, your family, uh, others should be, you know, maybe number one, two, three, and four uh, in your life before your your job, your career. I, th- I think for me, you want to be able to hire people who you want to tell to go home. Mm-hmm. Because that means there, I have been in a position where that wasn't the case. I was pulling hard in one direction a lot. And uh, I had great leadership at the top of certain people that were really willing to help. But when you're the one on the road, you're the one doing all that adds up. Mm. And so I hope for all young coaches or coaches in general, I hope we're at a place where we can have resources so we can spread responsibilities and delegate. And we'd be all of one accord so that we can help each other because I want my 
coaches to spend time with their families. Mm. You know, I know you're going to do your job, but you also have to do your job, which is most important. And that's at home, taking care of your wife, your kid, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. uh, and being a part of them, because again, we spend so much time as coaches with our athletes and other profession that spends a ton of time. A lot of people don't give credit to our strength conditioning coaches mm -hmm. and your athletic trainers. Oh yeah. They put in some serious hours and I mm. often, me personally, I try to really uh, praise them, give them opportunities because I know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, and Point. the same thing, there have been times in which we want to do certain things. And I had to tell my coach, like, we're not doing that because coaches here from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day and sometimes longer because he might have a kid who had a class concert or whatever, and he's doing whatever, but he needs a break too. And mm -hmm. so the same thing goes to trainers, trainers, long days, they're traveling. So being able to understand the full scope of your program uh, and, and respecting everyone, I think is, is a major component of success. That's, that's a good point. And uh, I'll leave you one other thing real quick, not to cut you off. Um, if you go to the USTLCCA convention and you listen to the Hall of Fame speeches, What's the one thing you can usually pull out of that speech? It's, I helped a lot of people, but I want to say thank you to my spouse mm. or significant other and apologize to my kids that I was not there enough. And I usually go to the Hall of Fame with kind of the same group, and we all kind of wait for that. And it's usually long tenure people who've done it, but they just give so much to the institution and so much to student athletes. And they're so proud of them, but they often lose a lot of time with the ones at home that love and adore them. At this year's convention, I was in the elevator with Pat Henry and his wife. And okay. she, to me, anytime someone says a track coach's spouse, she's the person that kind of like, that's the person who represents everybody's spouse to me because I've seen her forever. She's been at every track meet. Um, you know, I've been in, Pat Henry circle as far as you know being at track meets and coaching against them and everything for for a long time during my career so I always saw her and so um we were talking in the elevator and I was like I, I got the chance to tell her I was like Miss Henry I was like God bless you I was like to me you represent every spouse because you're at every track meet uh she's like oh yeah I've been to a few you know and and I was like I really truly hope that you love track and field because you were at everyone and she's like I've learned to love it and I was right. like oh my goodness like God bless you you're dragged to every track meet in the right. world because of Pat Henry. And it's like, man, right. there's so many spouses out there that are uh, either doing the equivalent of being there and traveling every time or being at home, taking care of the homestead, the kids, uh, the bills, <laughs> the whole, the whole nine. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk about going to become the head coach of Western Kentucky. Uh, Cause I'm fascinated by this for two reasons, specifically with you. One is I always I have such a big spot in my heart for uh, alums of their own programs that, you know, when you would call to recruit a kid and say how great, you know, it is there in Bowling Green at Western Kentucky. Uh, well, you have the ultimate proof. You're like, I, I went to school here. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't go to school somewhere else. And I'm telling you this, you know, this is a great school. I'm telling you, man, I went here. This is why I know it's such a great school. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, and the other aspect for you specifically is this is your first head coaching job taken over at your alma mater. Uh, were you ready? Were you ready to become the head coach? No, I, I was ready uh, for the position, but there was still so much I had to learn. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't afraid of that because I knew I had good mentors. And I also knew that I could pick up the phone and find 
good mentors because of the tentacles that I had within the ones that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, like I said, when Coach Long retired, he had done 28 years at Western, four years at Georgia, and, and, and six, seven years at Florida State. Mm -hmm. His dad was a head coach. His brother was a head coach currently at Florida State. So, um, you know, I knew high school coaches that were very, very successful that I would call and talk to them about, you know, what's the difference? You know, how do I deal with this, this, and that? Um, you know, I, I have picked up the phone and, and called Mike Holloway. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've... The people I could give you a list of that I've talked to. Um, matter of fact, just in general, I'll talk to Mick, Mick Burns about something in, in passing. Like, hey, you know, just there are people you can pick up nuggets from, but you really need to have a central base of people that you can get, um, you can gain wisdom from. Hmm. Um, and what I mean by that, there are a lot of coaches that would just throw you something because that's the moment, right? Hmm. This is the right thing in the moment, or they right. think you know. But you really want to find people who intimately know you, but who are also um, excited that you can be successful where you are. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by where you are, not trying to say, well, if you do this like they did it over here, then you'll be great. No, you have to know that person, how they can be intimately successful where they are. So I often tell people, be the man where you stand. You know, it's easy to look at. I was in Kentucky to say, oh, look at what Kentucky is doing. Or, look at what Louisville is doing or blah, blah, blah. I didn't. I looked at I'm here at Western Kentucky. What do I have and how do I make it the best? And yes, it was a great opportunity to be able to talk to people about my alma mater because I know what it's like not to have an indoor track. Uh, I know what it's like to be down there trying to <laughs> sprint on the basketball court uh, or out shoveling snow on the outdoor track because you just got to get some work done. Um, so I, I knew all of that. So it was a little different for me telling them that and trying to get them to believe in it, because quite honestly, uh, the, the, the environment and the situation we, and the, the culture we built at Western Kentucky was something that had to be developed over time hmm. because a lot of kids came right into it were very talented and they struggled at first. They were like, man, we don't have this. We don't have that. Hmm. And with me telling them, and then if you have some other people who've been through it and had success, they can say, Hey man, just listen, you get you where you need to be but you got to do it his way and you always innovate your way, but you just do the best you can with what you have. What was the thing that surprised you the most about becoming the head coach? What was something that you thought, um, or maybe you didn't think you did like, I mean, I didn't know I had to do X or I didn't have to do Y, or uh, I didn't know this would actually be this tough. What was something that kind of, uh, as you kind of got your feet wet in the head coaching role, you were like, Oh man, this is a challenge. I'm going to have to overcome this. Just the day-to-day -day paperwork, mm. um, you know, submitting rosters, uh, signing up for a meet, uh, hotel travel, um, you know, equipment, whatever it may be, managing all of that. Uh, and also learning how to deal with people who weren't on the same uh, time frame you own. Because when you're in athletics, uh, for me, I was still doing all the recruiting. I was still coaching a big part of the team. Uh, and now you're the head coach, so you have responsibilities outside of just your group. Mm -hmm. And now I also have to deal with administration and these meetings they want and, and turning the paperwork and all that. And I didn't have a big staff. There were only uh, three of us uh, at a time. And so still trying to run a program uh, like that, there was just a lot to learn. And, and again, just learn how to manage people mm -hmm. because I'm not just dealing with the sprinters, jumpers, and hurdlers anymore. I have to now intimately deal with the distance runners and, you know, and throwers or whatever it may be. So there was a learning curve 
But again, I was accepting of the learning curve. I never thought I knew everything. I still don't think I know everything. I will ask questions. If I see you at a meet, I'll sit down with you and let's talk. Mm-hmm. I believe in talking because you can tell me something. Your experiences uh, when you at Mississippi State or Ball State, uh, you learn something. And at some point in my career, it's probably going to be applicable. It's just when I use it. Um, and I also remember one of the things that really helped prepare me for being a head coach um, right during the transition, um, my first conference head coach meeting. And I remember Wright Waters at the time said, you guys need to understand you're no longer just track coaches. And, uh, and he said, you guys are administrators and you need to really take that on. The day of just coming to the track and that's all you do, those days are over. And I'm sitting there the same way you're shaking your head. I'm like going, yeah, exactly. And I remember some of the older coaches in the room just bristling at that. But I took that and said, he's right. It's a new day. you got to adapt. you got to understand what's going on. And from that time when he said that to even the time now, I'm still adapting, mm-hmm. understanding how to be a better coach within the current environment that is the NCAA or where I currently stand as the head coach. So inversely, as you got your feet wet and started standing up on your own, learning to be this new role of not just a, I hate the word just, not being only a track coach, but you're an administrator, a response, other responsibilities outside of your own program, even right. what did you find the easiest, maybe something you thought was going to be difficult, but you, you know, you got into it and it was like, um, it was like, like chewing gum, man. You're like, Oh man, I, I was, I don't know why I was worried about this. This is pretty, this is pretty easy. I flowed right into this part. Honestly, can't say I don't, I don't, there was anything that I thought would be difficult. That was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at everything as a quality challenge. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to master the challenge. I, I didn't shy away from any of it, um, but I didn't think anything would be very overwhelming because I asked for so much responsibility prior to that because I felt like if I'm in it, I need to learn everything. And so Coach Long gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of these things, but it's just different when I'm taking and turning in paperwork for Coach Long or he's mm-hmm. walking through it. Well, now you got to do the paperwork yourself. You got to have it in on time. So it's different as far as that going because I had so many other things. So I had a healthy respect. I have a healthy respect for kind of one man band coaching staffs. Yeah, I respect the what you mentioned earlier about, you know, calling a mouse Holloway, talking to a McBurn, et cetera, as you, you, you obviously care a lot about the circle you're that you surround yourself with that you allow to surround you. Uh, what's that book? You are the five people you spend the most time with or, or whatnot. And, and I believe a lot of that stuff, you know, you are who you, who you surround yourself with, you know, and we kind of talked about that a little bit in our, our pre-interview. What right. What's some of the, as you, you know, your first year or two, maybe even three years of becoming the head coach, what's some of the best advice that you got? You, you obviously reach out to a lot of people that you respect. Can you remember just like one nugget that you're like, oh man, this, this kind of opens the clouds part when I heard this and this really helped me. Gosh, I had so many. It, mm-hmm. it really depended on the kind of the situations. Um, I got great advice from Cecil Ward, who was the longtime head coach at Paducah Tillman High School, about you know how to develop uh, multi-event type athletes and and kind of the maturation. But all he would always say, "I'm giving you all this information, but I always remember what's first, what's first and foremost, and that's you and your family." Mm-hmm. He said because these kids are gonna come and go. You do your best you can with them. You treat them all respect, but remember, you're first and foremost. So that was great advice. 
Uh, and I, to this day, I, I still talk to Coach Ward and, and, and ask for his guidance and things. Um, mm. You know, um, again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, Terry Long telling me about, you know, you can do coaching, but don't go into it with thinking you're going to get rich. But understand that if you do your job, good things will come. I, I firmly believe that. Um, and I think a, a mistake a lot of people make right now, is they get out of the business too quickly because they're like, oh, I thought I was going to get rich because I was at this school. Well, mm -hmm. that school might not be your only stop. And, and I honestly didn't see myself leaving Western Kentucky for a long time. Um, when I left Western Kentucky, I was blessed from 2008 to 2019. We won 30 conference championships in that span. Um, quite a few, uh, you know, win four or five, some triple crowns in there. Um, you know, we had top 25 teams. I, my last year there, we had a relay that went 304 indoors. Um, you know, mm. I mean, four by ones, you, you name it, we had it. But a lot of people also didn't realize in 2016, uh, Western Kentucky took a 50% budget cut. And so uh, you go from having two teams that just finished in the top 25 and multiple All-Americans, you win uh, five of the six possible championships in that year between men and women, and you get your budget cut. And so that totally changed a lot of the way I, I had to look at things because then it was like, okay, well, I'm in it because I want to do this and be successful. But when it makes it difficult to be successful, then that changes no matter what the money is. Mm -hmm. So um, life comes at you. So you've got to be willing to, to move. And it, I wasn't stuck to WKU because of an athlete or because of my alma mater. It was a good situation for me. And once that situation changed, I stayed there for another couple of years into a situation I felt that I can go and be successful in. But I'm forever grateful for the opportunity I received at Western Kentucky. You, how long, how many years were you the head coach? 11. So uh, 11 years. And I can't imagine the challenge you have uh, following your second father, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. However, in 11 years, you definitely put your own fingerprint on the program. You did things your way, which was a culmination of what, Dr. Curtis Long and other people poured into you uh, and other experiences that you had. But how did you, how did you talk to us about bringing your own culture and how you continue to change and improve, not, not change for change sake, right? But to improve along the program, how did you uh, build that culture and continue that culture? And really, um, you know, you, you, you touched on a few of the many, many successes that you and the staffs uh, that you had there had during that time. I mean, quite um, I don't know if I want to use the word dominant, but man, come on. That was an impressive 11 years, my friend. Uh, how did that go bringing in your own culture uh, and continue to improve the, the program year after year? Well, during Coach Long's tenure, we had a very, very strong distance program. You know, they finished in the top 10 a couple of times. And at one point, the Sunbelt Conference was distance only. So history lesson here, when Coach Long took over the job in '80. They moved the Sunbelt Conference from the OVC in which hmm. the Sunbelt was track only. And so he walked in his first year, I think they finished 10th in the, in, in the NCAA in cross. Uh, to all of a sudden now, that's all you can do. There is no track. They A couple of years before, they had the NCAA champion in the shot put, NCAA champion in the long jump. So they were a complete team in the OVC. So for about a 20-year stretch, it was just distance. Um, and, and oddly enough, I was actually one of the first sprinters to come back when they start putting money mm. in track and field. Um, and so we weren't a sprint jumps 
dominant program, even during my tenure as an undergraduate. Um, but as I started to have opportunities, uh, coach wanted to get sprinters, jumpers, hurdlers, and, and I started recruiting those folks. And so by the time we got to, um, you know, my tenure as a head coach, you know, I had a pretty good direction of how to have a balanced program. There were a lot of years we scored in every event except for the pole vault. Hmm. And it was just because I didn't have a vault coach. And that is a, a event you better spend a lot of time with because of, of a, a lot of different reasons, safety concerns, but it, it's a very, very technical event. And so um, I built the program around having, I wanted to have relays that could run in more than one event. I wanted to have distance runners, not cross country runners. I wanted to have distance runners that could be extremely effective in cross country and they would come and be extremely effective in the distance events and want to be on the track. Hmm. Um, we had throwers, uh, guys who finished in the top 10, several All-Americans. So I prided myself on going out and trying to have a balanced team and knowing that I had to deal with, again, Dean Hayes at Middle Tennessee. And we were actually <laughs> the school furthest north. So when you're talking about a lot of schools that are in Florida, uh, Texas at the time, Louisiana, uh, Alabama, uh, th there were a, a, a lot of disadvantages we had there in Bowling Green because of weather and things of that nature. So you had to be very strategic in the type of people you brought in to be successful there. Um, and I, I think we got pretty close to, to, to getting that about right a lot of times. Hmm. What are you most proud of? You have a lot to be proud of. But when you look back at the uh, specifically the 11 years as the head coach, what are you most proud of during that time there? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, my first indoor championship I ever won was actually at Middle Tennessee. And if you know anything about the, the history of uh, that part of the country, uh, uh, in, in all respect to, to to the folks down in Murfreesboro, but that was our route. I mean, wasn't any doubt about it. And you knew you had to go through them to, to be successful. Um, so my first championship was at, at middle. So that was good. And, and, and you know, we didn't want in the fashion in which you had to run the football for to get it done. And, and mm. we did that. Um, so that was a big one. Um, being inducted to, to the Kentucky Coaches Hall of Kentucky Hall of Fame, uh, through the track and field association there, that was really, really big for me because, um, you know, I, I went when Coach Long was inducted. I went when Cecil Ward and some other folks who were inducted that I knew in the state. But to be uh, nominated uh, for that and, and to be able to earn that Hall of Fame induction meant a lot for me because I, I felt like I still had so much to, to do within the sport. But the people who matter in the sport thought enough of me to hmm. bestow that honor upon me. So I was very, very thankful for that. And then uh number 30 was 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 good because I earned my 30th championship after they cut our budget. Um how many people say, you know, number 30 was was real <laughs> at your oh, yeah. age well, and at your age even to say my 30th championship. That's right. That's right. amazing. Yep. So yeah, number 30 was, was special because, remember, I'm going back to, they cut our budget in 2016. And so, I mean, when you get your budget cut by 50%, that's travel, that's scholarships, that's, I mean, that's everything. They they cut us to the gills. And for us to try to fight our way through that was, 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 was special and tough. And the kids that stayed after all that and for them to help us win that championship and the way we did it, I mean, I had a young man in that meet who ran 45-5 and a quarter to finish third. He ran 
Uh, yeah, 20.58 to finish third in the 200. He won a long jump, won a triple jump. He anchored the four by four and 45.03, holding off the really, really good uh, half miler that UTEP had, who run 44 open and like, I forgot what his 800 was, but he ended up winning NCAA. I mean, we had to beat some really, really good people. Mm-hmm. And so to have that effort out of those young folks, despite what had been done to the program, um, that one was really, really special. And then just, to see folks graduate. I mean, every time I see someone graduate to come in, um, that's special to me because I know I've tried to help put them in a position where they can take care of their family. Mm-hmm. And that hopefully in that scope of time, they've been there at that institution that they've learned something more about life, not just track. Because if you only learn track while we're there, we hadn't really done a whole lot for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I often tell them, if you want to talk to me, you know, my door is always open. But also, if you want to pull up, hey, just say, hey, coach, can I talk to you? Pull me out to the side and let's just sit out here in this, whatever the weather may be, and just talk. Hmm. Um, and I got a call from one of my former Olymp- well, former Hilltopper alums, and you know he's multi-time All-American, and he and I just talked yesterday about his three girls he now has, hmm. and you know time at Western and and time you know experiences he had, and how it's helped him when he had to go to some of the major meets in the world. But now how he's also transitioned out of being that elite professional athlete to me, and most importantly, himself, dad, husband, but also what direction he should go to set himself up for when he's an old man, how he could take care of his family. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that really ingratiate me from my time there at Western Kentucky. All right, before we transition off of Western Kentucky and head down south here to Tampa, what the heck is a hilltopper? <laughs> so we are on one of the highest hills in Kentucky. Yeah, Amen. I went to, a, you know, my alma mater's Troy, and right. uh, one of the first football games I took, well, actually, we had just gotten engaged, we, she wasn't even my wife, was the Troy at Western Kentucky game, and I'd never been on campus before, but oh my God, I, walking to the stadium, I swear, it was uh, I was going uphill, walking to the stadium, and then when mm-hmm. I was going back to my car, it still was uphill. I don't know how that worked there in Bowling yeah. Green, but it did, yeah. man. It is, so hopefully you were, you came to the game when we had two sides of our stadium, because at one point... It was just uh, one side of the stadium, two levels, uh, very, very unique. Yeah, two sides, but yeah, and it had just been Good. built. Yes. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. All our football players would say, hey, man, they come into the Cyclops, you know, to play. <laughs> um, so, um, so very, very unique uh, place there. Um, and, and the Hilltopper came out of that mythical part of the hill. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the earlier sketching, it looks like somebody – bursting out of a you know mountaintop or whatever. And then it has now evolved to one of the most recognizable Very. mascots in the country, uh, who is Big Red. Um, as a matter of fact, it was a couple of years ago they got into a legal, uh, some legal wrangling because I think somewhere in France, they had a big red over there and you know we had ours first and it became a big deal. So, but no, it very, very popular. Uh, the other thing about uh, Western, uh, we wave a red towel, which is mm-hmm. signature of E.A. Diddle, who was one of the most successful basketball coaches uh, in Division One history. Um, at a time when, you know, when you were talking about Kentucky basketball, you had Western Kentucky, who was very, very good, as well as Kentucky. And just throughout that whole state, man, uh, Murray State, they have had some very, very good basketball programs, but he stood out and they stuck with that towel because he chewed the towel, he threw the towel. That was his thing. And so, huh. You're always going to see two things when it comes to Western Kentucky, the red towel or big red. 
Man, well, Big Red, definitely one of the most uh, iconic, like people who have no clue who or what or where Western Kentucky is, right. knows that I call it the Big Red Blob yeah, uh, right. mascot. That's <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. So you you do an amazing job. And you know, I don't think I realized, and I guess maybe I should have inferred, uh, that there was championships, specifically the 30th one there, after those cuts in 2016. I remember when that went down, because again, I, you know, anytime uh, we're cutting programs or cutting budgets from programs, you, you know, it cuts us deep, you know, just for our love of track and field and love of right. track and field coaches. So I remember when that was going down, because uh, then, you know, you invariably got the rumors of, oh yeah, they're shutting the whole program down right. and things like that, yeah. right? Uh, or they might as well, because you just basically cut the legs off, you know, things like that. Right. So how did you know it was time to leave? You'd been there for a long, time you went right. there to die to use our words earlier right. Right. uh and you obviously were very highly sought out um many many people would have wanted you either on their staffs or leading their programs uh how did you know it was time to go and why south florida well i, I tell you i was hired by a gentleman by the name of dr wood Selick, who's now the athletic director of old dominion but when he was at western uh, when he hired me and I also had the pleasure of working with Ross Bjork, who is now the athletic director at uh, Texas A&M. But he left Western Kentucky to go to Ole Miss and then end up going to uh, Texas A&M. So I've been around some good folks. Um, and also within the community of administrators, I've been blessed to be around some good people. And when you start talking to administrators and they're saying, it's time for you to go, you've done everything you could possibly do. It's not going to get any better. Uh, I think you have to listen. And that's where wise counsel comes in. And so mm -hmm. some were telling me, hey, as soon as the season over, you take the first thing smoking. But I knew that wasn't for me. I, I wanted to be somewhere where I wanted to live first and foremost. Mm -hmm. uh, again, to all my BG family, uh, Bowling Green was a great place. Um, but for where I was in my life, um, you know, there were challenges just socially. I mean, you just there's only so many times you can go Correct. to the Corvette Hall of Fame. I know. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and, and the restaurants got very old. But, and, you know, and I was close enough to Nashville mm -hmm. that Nashville offered, you know, more of a life. And I said, you know what, if at all possible, I would like to go to three places. And I kind of had my list to live. And uh, lo and behold, uh, NCAAs, not a good day for me at the NCAAs. I, I Four by four goes out and runs 302 low. We got the second fastest time coming back for the NCAAs. And unfortunately, we get disqualified. And I'm sitting here going, wait a minute. I didn't even run my two best guys. So I thought we were really going to run um, and uh, get disqualified. Next day, I go out to the track just like, Ugh. I'm watching the actual multis. And um, Buzz comes across uh, that there had been a change at the University of South Florida. Didn't think anything of it, but there were two particular coaches that turned around and said, you know what, you would be great for that job. I'm going, yeah, well, whatever, you know. Um, and, man, uh, before the end of the night, I got a very cryptic call. Hey, uh, love to talk to you about opportunities. And, and you know, obviously had some other opportunities kind of at play at the time. And uh, I just got back and started thinking, and my wife was – talking like what do we want to do and at that point it was like really what she wanted to do mm -hmm. um because she's she's uh got her own business she's a professional 
Uh, and I wanted to be supportive of her because as coaches, we think, oh, our wives are supposed to drop everything and just do what we do. Um, and, and actually, earlier that year, even at mid-year, I had an opportunity. They wanted me to come in and do something. But I just, at that time, I felt like it wasn't the right place and it wasn't the right time. And mm -hmm. so it was just the right time. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, I visited the school before because at the time, another one of my friends was the uh, head football coach at South Florida before he left to go to Oregon to be the head coach at Oregon. And then he came back to Florida State, which is Willie Taggart. Yeah. How do you know him? I, I was going to say, wait a minute, you're being a little cryptic here. That's, you're talking about Willie. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Western Kentucky. So trying to give you the history there. We had two longtime coaches when I was a student at Western Kentucky. Another one of them was Dr. Curtis Long, who had a tribe program, but the other one was Jack Harbaugh. Really? Jack Harbaugh, father John Harbaugh. And, you know, so the Harbaugh's, well, not Michigan, you know, uh, their dad was the head football coach at huh. Western Kentucky. Wow. Willie Taggart is a class ahead of me, and he's from uh, down in Central Florida. Uh, and so we knew each other because once you come to a place like that, you kind of know who the athletes are and where you're from. Right. And we're Florida guys. And since day one, I've known him at Western Kentucky. Wow. And, uh, to this day, we, we still, you know, he he's a guy I know and then uh, kick a fight in. And uh, do, do you so, ever, so this is interesting, using Willie as an example and good friends with him and the success he's had and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and definitely a guy, and I mean this in all the right, this is not since you're friends with him, this is not right. a dig at him. It's easy right. as a public figure to make digs at him, right. right? But he has certainly gone to places and gotten fired and moved up. And, and I mean that in the right way. I mean, you know, oh, you, yeah. name, you name the places he's been at, man. And and I right. love the guy. I mean, I actually right. think he got some raw deals at some of the places he was at. Yeah. But um, do you ever think like, man, maybe I should have done football coaching? Well, uh, <laughs> let me say that. that that's a whole nother um, thought process because there have been times when – Hey man, I know you're doing your track thing, but why don't you just come on as a full-time, you know, strength ditch or speed guy and right, right. this and that? And I'm going, yeah, but I also know and understand that football can be very, very fickle. Sure. And for all the success stories you see, there are a lot of bodies that's on the side of the road, mm. and so you have to understand that. So my path is track and field. Mm. Um, now, if they want to hire me as a, a person to work specifically with uh, and pay me more money. I think I could find some time in my day to do that. Uh, but um, no, I, I am passionate about this sport. I think yeah. we have great sport. They believe in football and basketball, but this is what I do. Um, but I mean, just in my tenure alone uh, at, at Western Kentucky, man, with five head coaches, David Elson, uh, who's at Purdue, or was at Purdue this past year as an assistant, uh, Willie Taggart uh, came in when our program was in the toilet uh, and he built it and recruited. I mean, there's still benefits off hmm. benefit off things Willie Taggart did when he was there. Uh, you know, Mike, uh Mike's last name. He was just the interim head coach at Colorado before Deion Sanders became Mike Sanford. Hmm. Um, Jeff Brom, who uh left Western and went to Purdue and now hmm. is at Louisville. Hmm. Uh, and then Tyson Helton, who's still there right now, doing a fantastic wow. job. So been around some some good guys. Oh, and Let's not forget Bobby Petrino. I was mm. here with Bobby Petrino uh, before he went back to Louisville. So, so uh, not, not I, all of all of them were good coaches. Not all, not all. <laughs> well, excellent. Uh, again, public, public figure, easy to make shots at uh, at a Bobby Petrino. And right, such. right. And I certainly understand that. But when you're yeah. talking about just a 
when you talk about management and all those things, hey, that that guy understands it at a hmm. extremely high level. And and one thing I spend a lot of time around the football guys because again, they have so many things already built into how to be successful hmm. that you had to use them. If you want to learn how to use recruiting and some of the recruiting systems they use, go talk to football. Hmm. Um, new rules and all that type of stuff, talk to football. They are just 10 times ahead of where we are a lot of times as track and field, either other sports. So if you're not utilizing your football staff's expertise, then I think uh, you're doing yourself a disjustice. And hopefully you have a relationship where you can have, you know, those conversations. Even when I got to South Florida, uh, I had a very, very great opportunity with um, Charlie Strong, who was the head coach here at the time. So uh, and then we brought in Jeff Scott, who was the OC at Clemson before coming to be the head coach here at South Florida. Uh, and so now we've just hired a new football coach. So I hope I'll have the opportunity to work with uh, Coach Ghost as well. So um, hmm. there, there are a lot of positives about the places I've been and the people I've been able to meet. So as you started getting your feet wet there at South Florida, what were some of the differences, like major, not not counting the big budget cut that you had to go through Western Kentucky, but just in general, as far as culture or style, what were some of the biggest differences that you had to um learn new ways you know every it's not i know every track's 400 meters but not every track program operates the same and not every athletic department operates the same so what were some of the nuances you had to kind of learn and, and work your way through there in tampa well the big thing is just learning south florida hmm. um at the end of the day a track meet is a track meet i i, I truly and firmly believe if you play football a football game is a football game but mm -hmm. in order to get to that point you can put quality people in that sport to be successful you have to really learn the environment in which you work in, uh, whether that be in the athletic department as well as across campus, uh, the city you're in. There are just so many things that you have to learn about it. And when I got here in South Florida, uh, they have they had spurts of success. You know, Bob Brayman is actually, who head coach at Florida State, actually worked at South Florida for a long time. Um, and so still coming in and seeing some of the stuff that Bob had to deal with Back then, it was like, we got to make some changes here. And luckily, um, I have a very, very, very dynamic athletic director, Michael Kelly. You know, he came in and said, listen, I know we aren't where we need to be, but if you give me a chance, I will give you opportunities. And I took a step out on faith because, one, I wanted to be in Tampa. Secondly, I thought this place has nowhere to go but up. Mm. And I felt like he was the right person to give opportunities. And now I'm keenly aware good ADs leave mm -hmm. because like anything, people want them. But he is generally interested in being here. And as long as he's generally, generally interested in being here, then I'm, I'm his guy. And it is my job to make him look good uh, in this realm we call University of South Florida. And we have a long way to go. Uh, we have not been good across the board, whether it be distance, uh, indoor outdoor track but there were just so many things that we had to retool to show them what a successful program is supposed to look like mm -hmm. and not just oh we have a team they're over there like no right. administratively we need to have this um we need to do this i mean there's some things that were in place that i was like wow but there were a whole lot more that were like we are lacking way behind and to the coaches who have been here prior to me i think they fought a lot of fights and we had a lot of turnover at the athletic uh, director position. And whenever you have turnover at that position, everything is topsy-turvy. So you never really have a clear path. Hmm. So we're still trying to forge our path forward here. And then you throw in COVID. 
We came mm-hmm. in right when COVID hit. Right. And trying to figure things out, it was just yeah. our first two years here were very, very interesting. Um, because some of the things you wanted to have, you just couldn't get it because there were people being let go because of uh COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh we did a very, very good job as the athletic department of holding on to literally the very end before there were any budget cuts to any staff members or anything like that. So being very, very thankful for his leadership. And I look forward to working within his leadership at this program. Yeah, I have a lot of empathy for the coaches, whether they're assistants or heads that started uh, the fall of 19 or even the January of 20 and then right. COVID, right? I mean, you right. you already have the daunting task of running a marathon up the hill because you got to learn a new program, right. a new recruiting, et cetera. And then COVID comes and puts like the 100-pound weight vest on you and says, okay, now run, run that hill. Right. Yeah, yeah, now run that 100, that uh, hill <laughs> up right. there. So yeah, a ton of, um, you know, all the plans that you have and goals that you have just really go out the door and right. you start from scratch and you're delayed on everything that you want to get done, whether it's fundraising, recruiting, uh, coaching, et cetera, for, for the, um, for the program. How, how did it go building a staff there? You have an amazing group there. I love them to death. Uh, how, how'd that go kind of, um, building it from, uh, I don't know if it's fair to say from ground zero, right. You, you'll explain that a little bit, but, um, how did it go building your staff? Well, it wasn't from ground zero because the program had been around a while, right. um, but the structure of the program I, I, w- was, it, it had lagged in areas. Um, and again, that's not a shot to any of the coaches because when, like again, when Bob was here, they were cross country and then they started getting tracked. So as you can see, good coaches do what good coaches do because he's doing an amazing job up in Tallahassee. Um, and for me, I knew having done a lot of the, the grunt work at Western Kentucky that I wanted balance in my life. I don't think anybody's going to outwork me. I'm always going to be disciplined. We're going to work at it. And I expect you to work, but I knew there was a different way to get to it. And so I went on and hired people that I knew got to it. Um, and so my, my, my sprint hurdles coach is, is, is BJ Dean, who's been at George Mason. Uh, he's been at Tennessee, North Carolina. We were able to acquire his talents at South Florida from North Carolina. Um, you look at uh, the living legend himself, Don Marsh, who was our high jump pole vault coach, um, who, matter of fact, has come in. Even our tenure, he's had the, the, the people who got it done at the highest level continuously with the program. So we always say we got to catch up with Coach Marsh. Um, but he's been here now 24 years at South Florida. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of invaluable experience that he brings to the table. And you're talking about a guy who was of his young age and, and enthusiasm still has a lot of go to him hmm. every day he's here he's ready to go and he's enthusiastic about coaching up those vaulters and, and high jumpers um coach Miriam, uh mk as we affectionately call her uh she's had stops at Ole miss uh yukon she was the five-time ncaa champion in the shot put while there at the university of florida um and again having another quality uh, throws coach. I, I also kind of jumping back, I had the pleasure of uh, having Ashley Kovacs as one of my assistant coaches at Western Kentucky. And I feel the same way if I get Miriam, the same type of athletes or better, I think that MK will be one of the best throws coaches in the country. Wow. Um, because you're talking about excellent old someone who understands it and is a, a very passionate and, and can communicate with athletes. She does it. We just got to be a better job of putting people in her group. And again, remind you, I like throwers. So <laughs> you got to get throwers. Um, 
Uh, my district coach is Damon Griffiths, who has been with, uh, he was at the University of Miami for uh, about 13 years, I believe, before he um, made the transition here to uh, Tampa University of South Florida. Uh, and then I've got one of the best young jumps coaches, multi-coaches, I believe, in the country, and, and Coach Romero Henry, who's done it at the Division One level, the NAIA level, the junior college level, and had success at all of them. So he's had stops at Barton Community College, Coffeyville Community College, uh, Wayland Baptist, uh, Western Kentucky, and now here at South Florida. Um, and and I again, I I'm very very happy with his progress as a young coach, and I think he is going to be outstanding. A great group of people who, thank goodness, are chose the profession of track and field coaching to be real frank with you uh, I got to see MK briefly in Denver I think it was just recently so I had to be Denver yep. uh, she's amazing she has been amazing uh, for a long time not right. just as an athlete but as a person uh, right. Romero I think you're right I think he's he, he's just starting to write his book <laughs> you right. know he's he's, he's still writing the introduction of what's going right. to be an amazing career uh, Damon oh my gosh love him what an amazing person right. uh I'm curious about Don Marsh. Love him, by the way. This is not a right. setup because I've worked right. with Don for a long time. Right. Right. I thought it was interesting. You know, when you go into a new program and I I don't judge the coach based on, this is going to sound harsh because most people are going to say, well, no, this is exactly how you're supposed to uh, uh, judge a coach. But I don't judge the coach uh, based on the program's results because there are a lot of things going on. Most of what we outsiders, uh, so if you're not in the program, you're an outsider, don't even know what's going on. I'm reminded of the great George Williams and what he says, if you're not in the huddle, you don't know the play. So the people that were there at South Florida, I would see the exact same things about the, what I just said about your current people. They were amazing. They are amazing. Mm -hmm. They've gone on to other places and they're coaching, they're coaching their butts off, doing a great job. So I thought it was interesting that you keep Don on. Uh, I don't know if it was calculated or not. And the reason I say it's in, it's interesting is because a lot of times we go to a new institution and we bring in a whole new staff. Well, that staff doesn't know Jack about the athletic department recruiting there, et cetera. They're learning it from zero. They got their experiences, but they don't know. They don't even barely, they barely know how to get to the office. Uh, And then when they get there, they don't even know where the bathroom's at. How in the world are they supposed to go turn in this paperwork, uh, get this official visit uh, um, uh, signed off on so they can get them here, et cetera. But you kept Don on, who's an amazing coach, by the way. But because he'd been there so long, it feels like outside looking in, that he would have been your compass. Like, oh, you want to know where True North is? Ask Don, because he's he's traveled this map before. Right. Hey, Don, how do we get this done? Hey, Don, who do I see about this? Hey, Don, who's our academic person? Because we got to do X, Y, and Z. How invaluable was keeping a guy like Don who had been there for, and I know it's tough because you went into COVID, but how important was he to... Uh, instead of starting at step one, it's almost, it feels like maybe you guys started on step three. Right. So coach Marsh, and, and again, that staff prior to me, they had, they, they did a good job. They had a lot of barriers they were dealing with. Uh, one of the things, most people have no idea how hard it is to get into the university of South Florida. I didn't either. So you tell me really? between Western Kentucky and South Florida. First thing I would tell you, academics, hmm. Um, you know, right now, I think we rank 42nd in the country of public institutions as far as academic rankings. Is that right? Yeah, you do not walk into South Florida uh, with just a, a NCA GPA and 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 barely making huh. it in, in test score. So 
and another interesting fact, the University of South Florida is a public institution. And although during COVID, the NCAA waived test scores for, I mean, period, the state mm -hmm. of Florida stayed pat and still requires public institutions in the state of Florida to have a SAT. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about our growth, there are a lot of things we had thrown at us. COVID, oh, we don't give a preview on the SAT. Just, just a lot. And it's a harder school to get into. But back to Coach Marsh. When I came in, I evaluated everything. Everybody from the top to the bottom. What are we doing here? Um, and when I looked at Coach Marsh, I saw continued success in his event area. He'd been here through a lot. And I value wisdom. You could bring a lot of people in and everybody has the right answers when they come in. But if I was going to have someone stay around, I wanted someone who had a certain expertise outside of the X's and O's of track and field. And I think you and I talked earlier, I like having conversations with coaches who've been around, seen it and done it. Mm -hmm. So my conversations with Coach Mars weren't really about, oh, I know you coach this kid and this was all American, all that. Like, coach, let's just talk. Mm -hmm. And the conversation we had early solidified he was the person I need to keep around to help us make a quality transition in a very, very unique situation. Mm -hmm. Because on the outside looking in, people go, why is the South Florida just wildly successful? But there are a lot of stumbling blocks that coaches have faced prior to this. And I'm thankful that I have an administration that's saying, okay, let's look at this from another view and how do we give you a chance to be successful as a coach and mm -hmm. develop the program. And so coach Marsh has been invaluable to this day. Coach Marsh and I sit down, like we sit down and talk, I mean, the stories he could tell you about here, his days at Michigan state when he was an athlete and the time he ran against a guy who went on the medal at the 400 versus his first year here and building a weight room under the stands at the University of South Florida and track and so on and so forth. So there are just things that we need to know. Mm -hmm. And he's been valuable. And again, still enthusiastic, still excited to be here. And he's very, very well respected. I, I thought it was a brilliant move on your part. You know, again, not uh, not saying anything about the other people that you didn't necessarily keep or whatnot. And maybe and they had other opportunities as well. But uh, when I saw Don, I was just like, oh man, like I honestly, it was a reflection of you. Cause it was like, oh, here's a guy who knows that he don't know what's going on in Tampa and it'll take him a couple uh, years really to really understand it. Uh, or I can have my, um, I don't know, Don's going to kill me for this one. I can have my Yoda stay here and, uh, and say, hey, uh, right, right. go do this. Hey, right. we, you know, we right. tried this, so maybe go this route. You right. know, I just thought, again, that kind of that that true north, that compass, man, I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant move and one that maybe more people should consider when they take over programs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I don't know that people – you know, I love dispelling myths. And one of the great um, stories that we had here was uh, we had Harless Metters on the conference, um, oh, conference yeah. on the podcast. And we talked about when Bob took over and Harless also put in for that job. And, you know, right. stereotypically, right. if I asked anybody, hey, if someone on the staff puts in for the job, but doesn't get it and someone else from the outside does get it, what happens to that person on the staff? They leave, right. they're gone, right? right. Uh, the, the the new head coach doesn't want to keep him because they wanted my job. And the, the guy right. who didn't get the job doesn't want to be there because he didn't get the job. And, uh, and you know, I, I asked him, I was like, well, so how did you guys work that out? And he's like, oh, we were professionals. That's how we worked it out. He's like, I, I, I love that institution. That's why I wanted to be the head coach. It wasn't right. time for me. Uh, and I'm so blessed that Bob didn't feel Bob didn't have the ego and feel threatened because that guy also applied for the job. Um, so the other, you know, the other myth is that when you take over a program, well, you've got to cut 
clean house. You got to cut all, burn it down. There's a reason why uh, the coach is gone and now you're in charge. And that's because everybody else was terrible. That's not true. I think if more... nor new head coaches, not necessarily your first head coaching job, but you're new to the institution, really evaluated the current staff. I think they would find more good in that current staff than not good and really do themselves a big favor of starting off again on that step three, not on step one. So again, I just thought Bravo move, keeping Don, you know, all the things you said times 10 times a hundred, as far as the respect he has from the coaching body, the respect he has for me. Again, I've worked with him for many, many years. Uh, just an amazing person uh, and, an, uh, and an awesome coach. That's very, very smart. Well, Eric, wrap us up here today. Uh, tell us what, what's got you excited about the future. You're kind of really just now starting because of COVID and all the yep. other junk. Uh, I did not know South Florida. I didn't think South Florida was just some, uh, um, you know, we don't really have a good rival at Troy because I always want to say like the rival of Troy whenever I want to put down an institution, but we don't really have a rival. It's just not really good. Um, but I didn't think it was just some, you know, as long as you have a 2.0 and a heartbeat you get in but i didn't know at it was that point, tough yeah uh, at to one get point in. it was um and that's one thing coach and i talked about coach marsh going back to him he was like coach you're going to learn that it's difficult to get kids in school mm. now going back to another point we talked about one of the first people i talked about all right tell me about south florida football guys you can't get them in if you go this direction it's not going to happen the time frame you know, we are a research institution. So mm. got 51,000 students. They aren't really worried about it if one kid gets in or they don't. It's, it's, right. That's it. Well, when I was at my last institution, they wanted everybody who could make the, the general quota. Let's get right. them in. Right. So that was a bit different because of timing of being able to recruit quality athletes. Mm. Me going to talk to a kid about South Florida. Oh, it's, hey, it's not hard. They hear Tampa. They hear some other things. Um, so we've been able to get in some doors that, People probably wouldn't think we would be in because we work at it first and foremost. But also now I can sell an education mm. and having these type of programs that you can you can continue to matriculate through. Um, but talking to those football guys and having an understanding of what to do, it helped me really focus. All right, this is going to take a little more time because there are areas administratively that have to catch up kind of with what we're going to do. Uh, then of course COVID, and then just Don's guidance, like Coach, oh, that won't work. Uh, Five years ago, you could get this in. But now, because of this, you can't do that. So we avoided a lot of head ramming against the wall because of Coach Marsh and saying, all right, well, they've seen that. Let me ask about it. Oh, that doesn't work? Cool. We can pivot to the right or left very, very quickly to try to to, to get to a place that's successful for us all. Hmm. So uh, what, what's got you excited this year, man? It's 20, I don't know, what year is this? 2023. You got a 2023 season coming on. What's got you excited this year? I'm excited for opportunities. Hmm. We've got, we finally starting to get some kids in here that want to compete. Um, and uh, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. Um, we got some kids who want to compete. And uh, I, I, I'll leave it at that. You got to get it done when it counts, when the bright lights come on and do everything you know, outside of that, but I'm really, really excited about the direction we can go. You know, I like being at the track on Friday and Saturday. Hmm. And when you can be excited about getting there, uh, then that's that's the big part of it. You know, if you're dreading going to the meets, which there have been days you're like, 
I like being here, but boy, it's going to be a long weekend. Uh, you're finally to the point where you can go, it still might be a long weekend, but boy, we can have some fun, you know, mm-hmm. and you got to work hard. You got to be disciplined and you got to be determined in order to have fun because winning is fun. And I often tell my team, I've won a couple, but I love to win a few more and I like mm-hmm. to do it with you guys. Yeah. And winning is fun, but you don't get there by osmosis. You got to work at it. You got to be disciplined. You've got to be determined. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to just seeing everything this new year has to, to, to bring. And I think if nothing else, COVID has taught us that man, appreciate the opportunity because we sat around for a long time in 2020, not knowing if we were going to have this opportunity. And you've got the opportunity. You're hosting conference championships this year. There's something special about it being on your, your track, your hometown, your house. Well, we're looking forward to having folks come to Tampa. Um, you know, we just had our track resurfaced and, you know, we hosted the NCAA first round here a couple of years and we actually hosted the conference championship two years ago and we had a pretty decent showing. Um, but again, it's just starting to make it our program mm-hmm. and we will make an impact in the sport of track and field here at the University of South Florida. Um, and I say that with all humility. Um, it won't happen overnight. But we'll be there when it counts. Eric, first of all, thank you again for being here. You know, we we know when we ask people to be on the show, you know, it's not an easy ask because this isn't a, you know, hey, let's do 15 minutes and right. <laughs> about your day. Uh, so it was totally appreciate your time and time commitment to us here today. Uh, you know, what's interesting about you, Eric, many, many things, by the way, because I could absolutely see you killing it in the corporate world. Your original goal, you talked about the the corner office and all that. And I could see you being in the suit and tie and, and running financial companies or whatnot. I really do. It's it's quite amazing. I'm so happy uh, that you chose the profession of coaching track and field. What's interesting about you at this age, such a young age, I mean, you're, you know, you're barely at halftime. If you know, you, you were a quarter miler, you're barely at the 200 meter split of your career. It seems like, you know, if I would say, Hey, I'm gonna have someone on the show who's got 30 conference championships, blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, Oh, it's somebody who's probably close to retirement, you know, they've been in the game 60 years. Like, oh yeah, no, no, no. I got a guy who's barely been in for 20 years. So you're just so early and had so much success uh, so far in your career. And I think su- success begets success, right? You learn systems and placements and you have those. And now you, you're enacting them in this new program here in South Florida. Uh, I'm just so excited to see the second 200 meters, the, the second act, you know, uh, I think what you're doing is um, uh, unique. I think your leadership is probably your most, um, uh, your biggest asset that you have. You're, you're a hell of a coach. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but the leadership that you show other coaches and your staff, your other peer coaches, uh, the humility that you have to quickly pick up the phone and say, Hey, Coach, how did you do? I need a little help here. Uh, hey, coach, how, how what would you do here? Uh, but also be able to take that information and, and take it through your own sponge and, and what comes out the other end and how it affects you and your program positively. That's a skill as well. So I'm just so excited. Like I said, we're it's it's a neat sneak peek into um, a career that's like I said, barely barely at halftime. You've got a lot to go and a lot of work to do and uh, have no doubts that it's going to be 30 more 
championships. You've already done what most people will never do in their career, friend. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but I think there's going to be, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be uh, quite transformational uh, the rest of the career and what you do as a whole, man. And so we're, we're rooting for you. We can't wait to see hosting conference. That's a big deal. And can't wait to see um, the fingerprints continue to be uh, on the bulls there at South Florida. Well, I certainly appreciate it and appreciate everything you're doing for this body. Uh, I mean, in the coaching body, these are very, very informative. I mean, I find myself, I forgot who I was. I was driving somewhere recruiting and just popped it in. Hmm. And, you know, these are insightful because like you said, it's not like 10 to 15 minutes. I don't even know how long we've been on the phone, but it feel like we're just sitting around talking, you know, getting ready for a fish to bite, you know? That's so right. That's right. these are the type of conversation you want to have. And uh, I appreciate you for providing a platform that is very, very easy to engage into. Well, thanks, man. I can build, I can provide the platform, but if it ain't for people like you who actually agree to be on, you, you would, you'd be uh, shocked. Not everybody says yes when I come a calling, by the way. Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting story because. Oh, you know, I knew it. I was trying to get out of here before you know, this. I, you didn't have to worry about me. Uh, I was just wondering how many times I have to jump over my hands, waving, hey, I'll do it. Please talk to me. Uh, you know, back in the day when they had payola, you would have been a prime candidate for payola. Uh, you know, but uh, uh, back in the old radio days, but no, I, I'm happy. Uh, I think, again, it's a great platform and, uh, you know, much success. Looking forward to watching other people uh, come on and, and provide, you know, quality insight into how they are successful in, in their journey in this business. Well, I'm proud to have you on here. Finally, I do appreciate it, man. All right, Eric. Thanks a lot. Have a great day uh, and have a great day for you listening again. Just so thankful it doesn't happen without you. I can have the platform. I can have the guest. But if you aren't here listening, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the tree falls in the forest. Does anybody does it make a noise? Is anybody here? So uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to continue here with season four. We got some amazing guests lined up. Got a couple of Olympians. I've got a huge director of a huge meet coming up here soon. Uh, just continue to bring the value and bring other people stories so that we can learn together and connect with them. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you next week.